Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Kyle Mitchell. Thanks for being on the show, Kyle. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm honored to have him on the show. I've been on his podcast as well, which I would highly recommend you checking out. And I know he's going to tell you more about it. But pleasure to have you on the show, Kyle. Uh, Kyle is a real estate entrepreneur who just recently closed on his first multifamily syndication in May of 2019. Managing partner and co-founder of Limitless Estates, whose vision is to provide A-class living to lower income housing by putting the residents first and installing a sense of community while inspiring others to do the same. Also, the co-host of the weekly real estate podcast, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate, where he speaks with various experts in the real estate industry to help educate and create clarity for passive investors. And with a background in operations, management, and logistics, he has overseen multi-million dollar businesses and has a passion in doing the same in the multifamily syndication space. Well, again, Kyle, I appreciate your time, your being on the show, sharing your journey up to this, you know, where you're at now in the syndication space. I know a lot of the listeners are going to be able to relate to you as well and are going to appreciate your story and learn a lot. So get us started with a little bit about your background and let's get right into how you got into this business. Yeah, sure. So previously to being in real estate, I was in the golf management business and you can kind of look at the golf management business, kind of like a third party property manager in the uh, real estate world. So basically cities, municipalities hired third party golf management companies to come in and manage their properties for them. So that's what we did. I was a general manager and a regional manager for 15 years and oversaw about 250 employees and 20 million in revenue. And so in 2012, 2013, I bought my first uh, investment property and uh, it kind of is all downhill from there. I, I invested a little bit in the stock market and lost all my money. And I got a bad taste from the stock market right off the bat. So I said, there's got to be a different way. And like many people, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a couple other books, got started investing in locally in the California market in real estate and uh, had a bad experience, put a professional tenant in place. And basically, the landlord-tenant laws out here in California are just unfavorable to landlords. And so I quickly learned my lesson and then started buying some out-of-state turnkey single-family homes, quickly realized it's very, very difficult to scale with first of all, turnkeys, and second of all, single-family homes. So at that point, learned about multifamily syndication, and I just dove right in. Wow. So you started with single-family. Tell me about the first property, though. Was that 2013, did you say? Yeah, right around 2013, put 20% down on it. And it was actually a very well... It was cash one. And in California, you can't find that very often, but it was a good little property. And I just put the wrong tenant in there. And I trusted my agent to place that tenant I have all the excuses in the book. I was busy at work. I didn't you know, want to be hands off, but I should have definitely done my due diligence and, and put the work in. So the first couple months went fine, was cash flowing, and the rent stopped coming in. And at that point, three months in, I couldn't get a hold of them anymore. They may give me 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there. So I started the eviction process. And my biggest mistake there was I didn't hire an attorney. I wanted to do it myself to save a couple bucks. And in California, I'm not sure about this in any other state, but if you accept any type of rent, whether it be $50 on 10000 owed or less, 
you have to start the eviction process over from scratch from day one. So I was about two or three months in. I got a letter from the court stating, hey, you've accepted rent. You've got to start over from day one. So, you know, obviously I was pretty frustrated at that point. I hired an attorney and six months later they're out. So about eight or nine months it took to get this tenant out. I ended up selling the house. I have my real estate license here in California as well. So net net, I did make a little bit of money and I learned a lot. So I guess if you asked me if I would do it again, I probably would because of the amount I learned in that process. And at that point I decided to buy out of state. And at the time, you know, I just needed some passive income. I was still working my full-time job. So I bought Turnkey. So you're still thinking, okay, single family, but now we're going to try a different market. Yep. You know, a turnkey even. And so then, you know, you try the turnkey, but then what really was it about syndication? How did you learn about syndication and, and know that that, okay, this is the path I want? Google, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be in real estate. I love real estate and I love what it can provide for you. And so I couldn't scale with single family homes. I'd have to have 100 of them. It would take me 10 or 20 years. And that just wasn't the path I wanted to take. So I literally just started listening to some podcasts, searching some stuff online. I went on Bigger Pockets and you know, just stumbled upon a couple of coaches that teach multifamily syndication. And we bought a course. And, uh, and when I say we, it's my fiance and I. And three weeks later, we thought we were multifamily syndication experts. But, um, <laughs> you know, we just jumped into the world, started going to seminars, started to meet up our podcast. And, uh, you know, eventually I left my job to do this full time because I just fell in love with it. So tell me, give us a little bit of the timeline of like quitting your job and your first deal. And then let's jump into that first deal. Yeah. So let's see. December 2017 is when we first found multifamily syndication and just started learning about it and going to seminars and meetups and all the like. And I would say in April of the next year, 2018, we started our own meetup and you know started building our investor base and started visiting, picking markets, things like that. And then in November of that year, it got to the point where we felt like our investor base was strong enough. We had chosen our markets. We had built our teams out there. Our network was large enough. So I left my job before we even closed on a property because I just felt like we were close. And for me, when I go into something, I'm just the type that goes all in. So I had the support of my fiance, which was number one. And uh, she said, let's do it. So we literally started a podcast the next month and made an offer, got it under contract. Basically at the end of June or January, you know, negotiations and everything took a couple months. And then we just closed on it a couple weeks ago back in May. Okay. Wow. So yeah, I know a lot of people are in that stage of, you know, when can I quit my job? Everybody's wanting to do that, right? And so congratulations to you though, you know, and on this first first deal as well. But let's talk about that first deal. How did you find that property? Yeah, you can say it was luck, but basically uh, my fiance and I on her day off and my day off during the week would drive to Tucson, Arizona. And that drives about seven and a half hours long. And the reason why we do that is number one, there's not a direct flight until the afternoon. So the timing of it just didn't, never worked with flying and we would have to stay overnight. So we would wake up at 2, leave at 2.30 in the morning, get there around 9 or 10. And we would meet with brokers, meet with other investors, local people, tour properties, and then come back and get home at like 1 or 2 in the next morning. So on one of those trips, you know, we let the brokers know we're going to be out there. So I, I got a call from one of the brokers and said, Hey, I literally just got the keys to this place. I haven't walked the units even myself. Would you want to walk it for them? So we were the first ones to tour the property. We got about a three-week head start until it went to market. And 
by the time it went to market, we had already done all of our underwriting, our due diligence and felt really comfortable with it. So day one, we put an offer in and were able to lock it up pretty quickly. Nice. So, you know, did the coaching program that you had, did that supply all the confidence to be able to go through that deal and complete all that? I would say that coaching program helped us out tremendously, but nothing prepares you for what you go through on your first indication without going through it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But yes, it does give you some confidence just to have somebody to to talk to or ask some questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need a network, you need a team, real estate's a team sport, and we can't do without that team. And even going forward now, we're trying to build even stronger teams, stronger relationships, because the stronger those are, the better you're going to do in this industry. Of course. And you know, I appreciate you sharing about just the drive and your all's dedication. And you know, most people aren't going to be willing to put that kind of time in and that kind of effort. And, and I'm glad it's paid off. And, and it does. You just got to be consistent and you got to be willing to keep going, right? I mean, you got to be willing to keep doing it. And I'm sure that was not easy on your all's day off to keep doing that and driving that far, but you're willing to do that to make it happen. Yeah. It's like that book, Three Feet from Gold is what I kept telling myself, right? Is if don't give up when you're right there and just keep doing it. And, you know, we continue to do it. Now we fly sometimes and stay overnight because this is my full-time job. So I have the availability to do that. But even last week, we drove to Phoenix to look at some properties as well. So, you know, you've always just got to keep grinding and keep doing it. And if you keep doing those things, like you said, consistently, you're going to break through. Nice. So to give us more specifics about this property. Yeah, it's 42 units in Tucson, just two miles east of U of A. And it's a perfect first property for us. And it's a perfect value add type of property. When we first went up to the property, first of all, it's not being marketed anywhere. And even the phone number on the sign on the corner was the wrong phone number, right? So the only, I don't even know how people were leasing up. So that was uh, sign number one. The seller, once she had it on market, had upgraded about half the units, but the property had not been painted in a very long time. Like I said, it wasn't being marketed and the rents were not being pushed. So there's people in there that have been living in there since 2003 with the same rent, no month to month. Half the property was not on leases. So it was a little bit scary going into it, but now that we've got it under contract and going through everything, everything looks great. It's 98% occupied right now. A new paint on it, rebranding it, new signage, obviously putting some marketing dollars behind it. And uh, we've already been able to rent up for market rents pre-rehab. So, How long do you plan to hold this? You know, it's a six-year planned hold. However, every year we're going to shop and see what we can get for it. If the market stays strong, then we'll likely be able to exit a little bit early. But it is a planned six-year hold. So what's a surprise that happened through this first deal that you didn't... Obviously, you know, surprise, you didn't know it was going to happen. Something that... A big learning point that we should all, we could all learn from. Yeah. Dealing with the lender for me, you know, I'm very well studied. I listen to every podcast out there. I read all the books and I thought I was very well prepared for this. And just some of the things I learned about the lender experience was just surprising to me. You know, when they say that you need things like net worth and liquidity, those are bare minimums. And if you barely meet the threshold, sometimes you're, depending on the strength of your team, the lender is going to have to go into Fannie or Freddie for a waiver or an exception. And if you don't get that exception, your rate's going to be higher and and your terms just aren't going to be as strong. So it was a big learning experience. And we actually had to switch lenders 30 days prior to close and bring on another team member to sign on a Fannie loan with us in order to get this thing closed. But we ended up getting an 81 basis point discount because of the team and the rates happened to drop at the right time and all that kind of stuff. But that was probably the most stressful thing. And uh, it was the biggest learning curve. So you know, like I said, you can't learn it without going through it. 
And that's one of the biggest things I learned. Yeah, but but you said you actually got a better rate because you used a different lender or you probably used your 30-day extension or something like that. Yeah, but well, so we were going to use our 30-day extension. But at that point, when I found the new lender that said, okay, we can do this, because I had called everyone I could think of. And uh, I was getting told, no, it's too tight. It's too tight. Finally found someone that said yes, got it done. And uh, yeah, I think it was 29 days when we started the paperwork. And we closed about an hour before... We recorded about an hour before the deadline. So <laughs> it was an exciting time, but uh, yeah, learned a ton. Wow. What else about that property did you walk away saying, okay, you know, the next deal we're doing this differently? Just making sure you have the team lined up in advance uh, was a big one. My fiance and I really thought that we could do it all on our own and we could raise all the money on our own. And, you know, we raised about 90% of the funds ourselves. But then that was the biggest thing was switching the lender as well as. I was not transparent enough with the lender that we were going to bring on another GP if we weren't able to raise that money. Well, they had already applied and it was just too late to add a GP. So we had to bail on that loan, start a new loan and add the GP then so that they can come aboard and help us finish with the raise. So I would just say, make sure that on day one, you understand who your team is or at least who you need to be a part of that team in order to get it done. So what was the capital raise for that? It was a million dollars. Okay. So I'm impressed too that uh, you all were able to raise a million uh, by yourself and make it happen. You know, and so and tell me about how you built that network. I know that this is what some of the listeners are wanting to know. Like, you know, this is your first deal. You were able to raise that kind of capital. Most people can't, you know, can't, are not going to be able to do that. You know, no experience. You're going to get all those questions, right? How did you build that track record or... or you know, no track record really in syndication at that point. But how did you build that trust with these investors and how did you meet them? So a lot of the people that we have as investors were friends and family. And uh, the other, we met through our meetup and we had been doing our meetup. When we started the raise, we had been doing our meetup for just right about a year, right? So we've been doing that on a monthly basis and having meetings and we knew the time was going to come. So we just need to build those relationships. And so we even with our friends and family would have meetings, talk about what we're doing and just getting the word out there. And you know, if we would have done this six months after we started the meetup, we would have not been prepared. We wouldn't have had the investor database or, or even the trust in our investors. I think after a year of establishing that trust, showing people what we do by you know Facebook posts, LinkedIn, and uh, monthly emails, we had a drip campaign go out telling them about our company and what we do. And so it was not an easy process. It was a long-term process. But that's kind of how we look at our business is, is, is the long term. So we really built it with that frame in mind. But you know, it took a year to build that list in order to be able to raise that much money. Nice. And I appreciate you explaining that. But, you know, give us maybe a couple examples of how you were showing them, you know, what you're doing and building that trust. Yeah. So we built a pitch deck, basically. It was just a PowerPoint and it's 15, 20 slides. And we would go through that and tell them what we do and allow them to ask questions. But, you know, I would also say just our meetup, just our meetup alone, we try to provide as much value as we can and it's free value. And anyone that wants to call me afterwards can call and talk about what they're going through. So we just try to just add as much massive value as possible. We do free webinars, things like that. And we talk about what we had gone through up until that point. So we never talked about what we could go through because we just weren't experienced in that. But we would talk about how we drove to the markets and spent 24 hours on the road and things like that. And when people started to hear that, they just saw the 
passion that we had and the work ethic that we had and started to trust in us. Nice. And so what about the meetup? You know, is a meetup something that that you recommend people do? Is this something that's free for members? How often are you doing this? Yeah. So I do recommend them. They're not easy to start. We got kind of lucky in the sense that we partnered with someone who already had a meetup. They had had a meetup for about four months. He was doing really well with it. And we were at actually a seminar out in LA together. And uh, the, the speaker pushed everyone to get out of their comfort zone. So I said, okay. I approached my friend Powell and said, hey, um, do you mind if we uh, partner and uh, start another meetup out in the Long Beach area? And the next day he called me and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's open some chapters. So we branched off on another chapter and we're actually getting ready to launch nationwide now. We've got about eight other chapters going right now, but we hold them monthly and they are free and it's a great way to meet people. And it doesn't matter if five people show up or 30 people show up. We just love talking about real estate, sharing with other people, and eventually the word will get out. I would say that you do have to put some effort into it. At first, we weren't sure how much work it was going to create, but... I'm on bigger pockets talking to people, inviting them, anyone that lives in Long Beach, come to our event, things like that. And you can get more traction that way. But definitely, I would suggest starting a meetup just because when you're the person at the front of the table, it's different than just being in the crowd. I know many listeners are wanting to be in your shoes and obviously, especially leaving your job, but you know, getting that first deal done, being able to raise a million dollars on their first deal. You've done a podcast now, you've done a meetup, your own social media, your own bigger pockets. What would you say to Someone who's getting started now, which one of those places should they start first? I would say look at your goals and see where you feel most comfortable. It doesn't need to be everyone. I mean, when I first started, I told the story at our last meetup, I was terrified to speak in front of people to where at my previous job, I would avoid going to meetings or having meetings with people because I just I was just very uncomfortable speaking in front of people. And my fiance would tell you the very first meetup we had. I was just freaking out, you know, but I would just encourage people to do one thing a year that gets you out of your comfort zone. And when you do one, now you can do two, now you can do three. And that's kind of where we're at is I'm trying to do two or three things every year to get out of my comfort zone to push me to that next level. But if you don't feel comfortable, work with someone that does feel comfortable, and which was my fiance at the time, and we did it together. So find a partner who can help push you and be your accountability partner. But any one of those sources are great. And you can even, if you're very uncomfortable talking in front of people, start a blog. Those are types of things you can do as well. Start a monthly newsletter, be active on bigger pockets. So I don't think there's any excuses out there not to get your name out there. There's so many different mediums that you can use nowadays. You know, through this syndication journey so far, what's been the hardest part? Learning to build a team, learning to build a team for sure. You know, partners are huge and you've got to find the right partner that matches your skill set and one that has the same visions. And in a syndication game, if you want to scale, you need a lot of partners. It's very difficult to do it on your own. And there's so many different pieces of the pie. So just going through that process and learning what it takes to really be a lead sponsor in this business. And how did you grow in that role as uh, you know, being a lead sponsor, but even, even building your team? Yeah. So being a lead sponsor, I think is just natural for me because of my past experience. I was an operator. You know, I'm big into logistics and business metrics and that just fit really well. As far as building a team, it was through our meetup and network. You know, as I learned from other people as they were doing it, they were saying the same things. You need a team. And then when you just take a look at the numbers and just take a step back, if you want to go for a $10 million property, you're going to have to put $3 million down. You're going to have to raise money for capital improvements. So let's just say you're in there for $4 million. 
well, can you raise 4 million by yourself? Do you have the networking liquidity? Do you have the experience? All those different things. If you really wrote down what you needed to close on a $10 million deal, you'd quickly learn that you can't do it without a team. No doubt. What's the way you've recently improved your business, Kyle, that we can all apply to ours? So I just recently started using a CRM, which is important, right? To track uh, not just my schedule, but track conversations with investors, follow up. It's been good. I need to do a better job of utilizing it for sure and just making it second, uh, like a, a habit. But it's definitely a work in progress, but it's been great. And what, what CRM do you use? Right now, I'm using HubSpot. Okay. What's a feature you like about that? I like that it tracks all my emails automatically and also gives me um, a, a kind of a read receipt. So it'll pop up when someone opens it. It'll tell me who opens it so I know if they open it or not. But it, it just tracks all my emails. So everything just populates straight into their contact information. And wh- what's your, your best advice for taking care of investors? Follow-up and, and caring. This business is 100% about follow-up. And so you can't just call someone when you're ready to raise money You know, six months after you met them. It's all about making sure you time block to give them a call, see how they're doing and see if you can add value to them. I just love adding value to people and people love getting value added to them. So if I had any advice, just add as much value as you can to to your investors. And how often are you following up with investors? I think it depends on the type of person, but at least once a month right now. Now, as our investor base broadens and gets bigger, we'll see how that works. Now, we touch them probably three or four different times through email, blog posts, Facebook posts, all those types of things. But I like to get on either you know text or phone call, depending on what they like to use as their best communication tool once a month. Okay. And are most of your times that you touch them, it's going to be through email or you know, are you going to be calling them through the month as well? Sometimes I call them, yeah, but or text them. It really depends on you know what they like the most. Now, email—if it's email, it's at least once a month, if not twice a month. But I do like to you know talk to them through text or phone once a month. Nice. How do you track that? Before HubSpot, how were you tracking that? I wasn't doing a very good job of that, to be honest. I mean, I'd have to go back through my emails or, or through my phone to to find that stuff. So that's one thing that I would definitely uh, suggest just going forward or from the start. I know it's not easy, but just do it. And you know, a couple months in, it's going to be like second nature to you. But you've got to track your communication with your investors. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Just hard work, to be honest, and support from uh, my family. I, I definitely would not have been able to leave my job and just you know go the entrepreneurial route without that support. So uh, I appreciate that from uh, my fiance and my family. And before we have to go, Kyle, we're about out of time. But tell the listeners how, how you like to give back. Yeah. So we get back through our meetup and um, we I actually host two meetups. And so we add free value there. We do free webinars and uh, and things like that. So it's, it's really through the meetup to, to just add value to people. We do free 30-minute calls. I'll talk to anyone about real estate and try and help and add value in any way that I can. Nice. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I really appreciate your time. I know, I know a lot of the listeners are are just looking for the day to be in your shoes that you're in right now. And so I just appreciate you elaborating about that. But tell them how they can get in touch with you and also listen to your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Our podcast is Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. And it's on all the different mediums out there. And uh, our website is limitless-estates.com. And you can reach me on my cell phone, 562-833-5010. I'd love to talk to you. There you go. Hope the listeners will reach out and talk to you, Kyle, give you a call. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate the listeners being with us today and, and every day. And I hope you'll go to lifebridgecapital.com and connect with me. And we will talk to each of you tomorrow. 
Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.